the best way to know that you are doing a good job of, of embracing failure is being open to feedback. We're about to get very real, a little silly, and you're going to freaking love it. I'm Saren, body image and self-relationship coach, lifestyle, aka everything cute and inspirational, entrepreneur, Pilates and yoga instructor, and spirituality-loving person. Let's get real. We all think the same things. We all have those crazy thoughts. The Soul Speak podcast is here so that we can allow ourselves to have those weird, awkward, unheard of conversations that no one ever talks about and prove that they are normal. Topics on judgment, comparison, inner criticism, sex, lifestyle, and spirituality all will be found right here on this podcast. Each episode, guests and I will not only bring you new ways of thinking, but also bring light into your life all together. Now let's speak soul. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 25 of Soul Speak, the podcast. Happy Monday, happy life, happy day. So this episode, I am interviewing Garrett Mintz, who I actually know from my hometown in the Chicago area, Northwest Indiana, and he is doing some really, really cool things. So Garrett is 27 years old. He is an entrepreneur, and he is living currently in Bloomington, Indiana, where Indiana University is also where he went to school. He is the founder of An Ambition in Motion, which is basically a company that kickstarts mentorships for fulfilling careers for college students. So Garrett is passionate about giving college students the confidence to go after their dream career paths and their dreams. So listen to this episode. It's a really good one. Garrett has a lot of really good insight and he's a definitely a go-getter. He definitely is very confident in his words and has a lot of passion for what he does and what he says. So I hope you take something away from this. And before we hear from Mr. Garrett, I want to just remind you wherever you are listening right now on Spotify, on Google, on iTunes, go ahead and subscribe so that you can see all of the new episodes that come out and leave some pretty little stars so that I know if you are loving it that would be so great so great you guys are already amazing so anyway further ado here is Garrett started on who you are where you came from and where you are now (laughs) yeah my name is Garrett Mintz and um, I'm from Munster Indiana originally uh, Flossmore Illinois Hmm. and um, yeah I know how long yeah I was born until like I was 13. Oh, 14. really? Yeah, yeah, I didn't move to Munster until like eighth grade. Oh, wow. Did you guys go to school in Illinois or did you always go to Munster? No, uh, Illinois. Like we didn't know we were moving to like Indiana until oh, like we moved okay. to Indiana. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I grew up in Flossmore and then I moved to Munster. And um, yeah, and then I, I came to Indiana University and um, yeah, while I was at Indiana, I started a company called Ambition in Motion. What did you study? I studied business. Business. Okay. So what made you, I guess I should have asked a little more clearly, what made you, like, where did Ambition in Motion start? Like, what did that start as? What, what gave you that idea? Kind of where, did, where was that from the beginning? And then where is it now? How has it kind of evolved? Yeah. So my background is interesting. So for me, I, you know, I think when, when it comes to entrepreneurship and am I allowed to swear? Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, I call, I have this theory. I call it the fuck it moment. I, I think that Isn't all entrepreneurs. that word? <laughs> I 
just joking. You can say it. <laughs> okay, cool. I, I have a theory that all entrepreneurs go through this phase. It's called the fuck it moment where you decide that your social capital, you have so little of it that you just say, fuck it. I'm going to go for it. And if I fail, I can't go any lower. I'm playing with house cards. Um, and, and for me, I was in a scenario where I was that I was at that stage because for me, from age, from age 15 to age 19, I was a drug dealer. So I had sold weed and some other drugs all throughout high school and my freshman year of college. And by the end of my freshman year of college, I got arrested in an undercover operation by the Indiana university police department. Mm -hmm. I got five felony distribution charges was arrested. And, um, yeah, I had no idea what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I was expelled from school. Literally. I mean, it hit me like a brick wall. And, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of things that, that go with that. I think when you first get in trouble, your, your thought process is like, how am I going to get out of it? You try to think like, what's the easiest path towards trying to get out of a scenario. But more often than not, if you're able to actually go through the hard stuff of like having to figure it out, that's where life changing things happen. And that happened to me. So mm -hmm. I got lucky. Um, about a little, a little bit after getting expelled from Indiana university, I enrolled in a program in St. George, Utah, um, called At the Crossroads, and it helped me turn my life around. I wasn't necessarily addicted to drugs as much as I, I just made poor choices, and I was in a bad it's position. Part of your life for a long time. I mean, it's like, you know, yeah, taking yeah, out of that. exactly. And so, when I was 19, I moved to St. George, Utah, and I didn't really know what I was going to do. Um, didn't really know how I was going to be. And, and that's where I first got introduced to mentors. Um, I, unfortunately in, in that program, their program director, his name is Brian Virgin. He was immediately a mentor to me and he really helped me just kind of see like how I come to grips with my own actions and how it affected the people in my life. Like my family, my country, my, my city, my state, like everybody who I had interacted with, how I had affected them. Because more often than not, I think sometimes we get into our little bubble and we think like, I'm, it's only about affecting me, but it's like, I embarrassed a lot of people. And, um, I just, I, I had to come to grips with that. And that's, that's something that was really a big deal for me. And, um, after that, I, I, about a month after living in Utah, I was, I was flying back to where my, in Munster, um, to let my family know that my life's getting on track. And on that flight, I'm sitting next to a guy um, we start talking, I'm reading this book called how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie at the time. And it was really impactful. And one of the suggestions I even think he mentioned in his book was like, talk to people on an airplane. You'll never know who you'll meet sitting next to this guy. Mm -hmm. Turns out he's the director of ground equipment for SkyWest airlines. By the time the plane lands, he offers me a finance internship on the spot like that. And, and that was huge for me because up until that point in time in my life, I thought one, you don't get internships after your freshman year of college. That's like unheard of. But two, uh, for someone to give me an internship at like this stage of my life after being like a drug dealer, someone that's got, you know, charges that I still have to face and like see what happens with my life. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. Um, I just was so blessed. I was like, wow, that is so fortunate. That's crazy. Um, but what it opened up my eyes to was that you can, the way you make someone feel in any given moment can absolutely change the way that they perceive you and the opportunities that they provide you like a hundred percent. So what does that mean? Like, how did you kind of extract that from that conversation is what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, how literally listening. What was that? How you made him feel? Yeah, exactly. Like people love to talk about themselves yeah. and more often than not, like, because people love to talk about themselves, if you're someone that's willing just to like 
listen and sit back and take notes and just like repeat what they say and like make them feel heard, you can make them feel special. And that's how I made this guy Troy feel. And um, yeah, I mean, he was just like, wow, I've not really met a young person like yourself. And you know, I, I, I'm the director of our ground equipment department. I, we don't hire interns, but I, I want to hire you. Can you be a finance intern in our ground equipment department? And I say, yeah, a hundred percent. Yes. Hmm. And um, that was really, really cool. Yeah. So I'm in this program called at the crossroads. And so I got lucky that I got an internship, but I realized that a lot of these other young men and women, they, uh, they weren't getting these opportunities. In fact, they were getting kind of systematically denied from opportunities because they had to check the box that said, I've been convicted of a crime. And so that's where I first was like, how can I help these people? Like they might not get that lucky shot of sit happening to sit next to somebody on an airplane and then landing an internship, like on the spot, mm -hmm. you know, that doesn't really happen all the time. And so I, I went to a bunch of local business owners and professionals. and I said, Hey, don't hire this young person. Uh, give them a job or I mean, so don't hire this young person, be a mentor to him. And it's like, once you use the word mentorship, it just like, it's something changed in their brains. It was like, Oh, I definitely would never turn away mentoring somebody else. I might not hire you, but the fortunate part about it was that those mentorships led to jobs many times. Mm -hmm. And that was cool because that helped minimize them um, going back to, to drugs and it minimized them um, from feeling like hopeless, like, I, like they're not going to be able to turn it around. I mean, sometimes that positive reinforcement is just what you need to get you over that hump to show you that these, in this, yeah, that, that hard work that you're, you're putting in can actually lead to positive outcomes. And I mean, I'm a firm believer that, that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if you're spending time with other people that are doing drugs or just like making poor choices or just not as ambitious as you are, you're going to be okay with that level. That's where you're going to be okay with. Yeah. But if you spend more, oh yeah, go ahead. I know. I'm just, I was just going to say is that's a really good point because like we hear that so much, but it's very true because you're going to be at that level. And even if you know that you deserve more or that you're made for more or that there's better out there for you, you don't even know that you're able, you don't allow yourself to have it. You don't, you don't think it's accessible to you. Like we could be Oprah, you know what I mean? And like, we know that that's accessible to us, but we're not like, as long as you keep hanging out with those people that are different, that you can only do this or that, like you have to keep stretching yourself and stretching yourself. And not to say like, you can't keep your friends that you've had since high school. And you know, those people are important in your life, but it's important to put yourself, I think that's just important for everyone to hear is it's important to put yourself in places that you're uncomfortable with people that you're uncomfortable with, because, you know, we all feel awkward and weird, right? Sometimes like we're less than or whatever, when we're with people that are just doing these amazing things, right? It's just like a human feeling, but I think it's so important. Well, I want to challenge you, Saren, because I think that's bullshit. A, a challenge! <laughs> Yeah, I think that's bullshit. I think anytime that you tell yourself that you're lesser than anybody, you put them on a pedestal. In reality, we're all humans here. I mean, in reality, you know, we, we aspire to be like, we like those who are like ourselves or how we would like to be. And so when we're around those that are, are doing things that we're like, dang, I, I'm, that's super cool that you're doing that. I'm working towards that. Like I'm in the process as opposed to like, I wish I was doing that, which means that you are setting up expectations, but you're not actually taking a path by saying like, hey, I'm working towards doing that, you now, you have that like that pedestal. So like, for example, I was on the tennis team and in, in high school, I played against like some of the guys that were on varsity and they just kicked my ass. 
up and down the court. But as opposed to playing with the other guys on JV who were not nearly as good, um, I got a lot better. I moved up faster, and that really helped me helped me out in my ability to play tennis. But I think that's the case with, you know, professionally. If you spend time around others that are are at a level where you would like to be, you are more likely to hold. It's like it's kind of like a combination of goal setting and then being able to see a paradigm for success. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you know the, the like the first person to break the four minute mile, like it took forever to do that, and then all of a sudden, like immediately after someone broke the four minute mile, like a hundred people did it within the year after that. Yeah, no, I mean, exactly. Like you're saying exactly what I'm agreeing with is that it's good to be with those people that are doing things that you want to be doing. But as humans, it is easy to get those automatic feelings, right? Those whatever feelings come up. But what you said is very important. Um, What did you say? You said, Putting on a pedestal, it's a huge thing. I always think about, you know, the book, You Are a Badass, I'm assuming. Have you read it? Great book, great book. Oh, you have read it. Okay, so there's a part in it where she says something like, and I always come back to this. She said something about like, you know, if you want to be on Broadway, and maybe I come back to it because I always wish I did musicals in high school and I don't know why I didn't. Actually, I know why I didn't because I thought that I would be a loser if I did. I'm so stupid. But anyway, one day, um, and I'm not stupid. Don't say that to yourselves. (laughs) But um, anyway, so she said, you know, there could, you could be looking at someone on the stage and you can be feeling like, Hey, that's never going to be me. Or like I said, Oprah, you can feel like that's never going to be me, but that's making them different from you. You know, like you said, we're all humans. We are all humans and we are literally all equal. We are all equal and we're just at different levels, but when you make someone more, you know, higher than you or whatever, it's telling yourself that you can't have that. It's not accessible to you. And it's just cool to think about, right? Like when you say that you're all, we're all humans, it kind of takes away that part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just, you know, it's like the rapport that you're able to build with them is, is something that you can make last forever. I mean, it's, it's really, and sometimes it's timing, you know, it's, it's every relationship's a two-way street. You know, if they're receptive to having a conversation, that's huge. And, um, it, you know, at the same time, they have to, you, you have to be receptive towards building that rapport in that relationship. Yeah. So how have you kind of seen that in your life then? Have you ever felt, you know, how have you stretched yourself with that? Because you are a good connector. How do you keep yourself connecting and stretching? Yeah. So I leverage LinkedIn all the time. You know, it's funny, like the opposite of what you should do is uh, I, I just, it popped in my head. Um, there's a funny Saturday Night Live skit where uh, uh, Chris Farley is interviewing, um, uh, um, oh my goodness, the guy from the Beatles, uh, Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like the silliest id- interview ever. So he'll ask questions and um sometimes you'll ask like a really silly question and and paul mccartney won't know how to answer and chris farley will be like idiot why would you ask that question he's like t- like he's talking to himself in the third person but he's so de- self-deprecating like in the middle of the interview and he's like pulling out his hair and he's freaking out but it's oh, so funny yeah. okay so it's, it's a like very a funny skill. Kind of. um but the point is that's not what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. so <laughs> when okay. it comes to connecting i mean put yourself out there i think really I think a lot of times when it comes to like first impressions, especially like online when meeting with people, like you don't want to be, 
you don't want to be like reaching out to the points of like where they want to initially be going. But I think really where you want to like target is talking about like, what are your pain points in your life? I mean, I think when you, when you talk with people and you think to yourself, like Sarah, when you think to yourself, who are your people? I would care to argue that the people that you feel comfortable sharing, like your biggest concerns, your biggest fears with, like, those are your people. And like the people we shared, like the fluff of like, hey, I just landed that job or that internship, we got that promotion or I just landed the sale or like whatever I did this, like you share that with much more people. But when you're talking about like to your core of like, I don't know if this thing is working or like, I don't know if this is like, I don't know what my next step is with this. Like you realize like those are your people. And I think the point is, is that when you can build a greater rapport with people and start talking with them about like, hey, you know, what would you say one of your biggest concerns are? And, you, and by the way, your tonality is so crucial because you don't want to be you don't want to sound like you're judging them. You, you don't want to say like, you know, so, uh, you know, what are your biggest concerns? Like when you say it like that, that feels judgy, but if you say, Hey, so, you know, I would imagine that maybe some things are going on and, and maybe that's not the case, but I would love to know from your perspective, like what are some things that maybe you're concerned about that are coming up on the horizon and that, you know, can kind of open up the door for, for you getting to know them and to learning about what's going on in the world. Because I do think like your pain points, are your vulnerability points and your vulnerability points are what make you attractive. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Are you kind of talking in like a salesy perspective? No, I'm not even talking from a salesy perspective. I'm even talking about from like a relationship building perspective, like with mentorship, I encourage all mentors and mentees to share their biggest concerns because like, if it's only talking about, Hey, I just like had these informational interviews or Hey, I just landed that, that, um, that internship. It's like, that's not a deep intentional relationship, but if it's like, Hey, so let's say the mentor's chatting saying, Hey, so I just got into this. So I've been in this job for the last 10 years and it's been great, but I'm working a lot of hours and I'm getting married and my husband and I are thinking about having a family and I'm trying to think about how do I broach that conversation with my boss, with my company to say like, Hey, I need to have more work life balance so I can focus on building um, my family or I can focus on potentially transitioning into a job that provides me more work-life balance, you know, or being able to share that with your mentee or your, the mentee saying like, Hey, so I got this internship and it's great. And my dad helped set it up, but I don't know if it's exactly in the field that I want to pursue. And I, I think that there are other companies out there and I don't want to let my dad down because he set up this internship for me or this interview. And now I got the offer, but at the same time, like I want to explore what this experience might look like. You know, like being able to say what your biggest concerns are, it tends to build the deepest relationships. And so I think for relationship building in general, just getting to know people, that's so crucial is being able to share your pain. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes total sense to me. I really agree because, you know, kind of what I do too is I'll have people like when I do group things, I'll have them share you know, what are your biggest judgments on yourself? And especially when it's a group of like 10 people, it's so powerful because when you're hearing that, it kind of neutralizes it, right? Like that's what we're talking about here basically with everything is neutralizing and knowing that we're all human and we all have, like we're not perfect, beautiful robots. We might be beautiful, but we're not perfect. And that's okay because that's perfect, right? And it's like in recognizing that, that's what connects people. And that is true. That's what makes people attractive when you can be vulnerable. But I will say like coming from someone that is so vulnerable and I'd imagine you are too, like you've probably noticed in, you know, just personal relationships or even anything like that. You can't always do that because not everyone is like that right away. So it's kind of also about finding, it's about being intuitive about who that person is and reading them and reading what they're comfortable with. Because even for example, 
at work, <laughs> this, uh, this girl, she, um, she had fake hair. Okay. She like changes her hair. She puts fake hair on and we're talking about it and I touched it. I was like, Oh, that's so pretty. And that's, I'm just very touchy. And, but those are things like, you know, even in conversation, it's all the same. Like we don't think about that stuff sometimes. That's important because she chatted me after she was like, Hey girl, I didn't want to say anything out loud because there's people around, but I felt very uncomfortable with you touching my hair. And, you know, she, we were fine, but you just never know. So yeah, I mean, I mean, that's, I mean, kudos for her for reaching out and like communicating that because I mean, oh, so yeah. often it's that's passive so aggressive where it like builds up and, <laughs> you know, she's like going behind your back saying, Sarah's such a bitch because she touched my hair exactly. or whatever, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, like that's like, and then all of a sudden a bunch of people are pissed at you and you're like, I have no idea what I did. Yeah. But that's kind of like what you were saying too, is like, instead of just, it's just being honest. And I mean, that's a whole different yeah. point I wasn't even trying to make, but building kind of that flexing that honesty muscle it's really important like when you can be honest with yourself or honest with others the more you're just honest then the more pure of life you're living and not pure as in like not rated r but pure as in just real like a real clear life and you're feeling more clarity about what you want and what direction you should go in because like you know mentorship too like that helps that helps because you're going to be maybe you're in a situation where you don't really like what you're doing. And I don't even know what the heck I'm going to be doing in a year. You know, it's like, we don't know, but it's also becoming okay with that unknown and becoming okay with knowing that, Hey, it's okay to be in a place that you don't like. And it doesn't mean the end of the world. It just means you're here and then taking it and using it and going somewhere else with it. Yeah, totally. No, I think that's great. I, you know, so I think um, a couple of things um, on, on that. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I think you hit it on the head there. Reading people is so crucial. Like it, it sometimes is one of the things, those things you have to like warm up to. Like most people don't share their biggest concerns when you ask what their biggest concern is. Most people will give out a nice fluff concern. So I'm and curious, then, how do you do this? Like, what do you, when do you ask this biggest concern question? Cause I'm just picturing you going on LinkedIn and saying, what's your biggest concern? I know you don't do that, but what happens? Yeah, no, I think it's, it's during the conversation. I call it a pain funnel. So um, this is something that I have learned. So I, I think like you said, one thing that you mentioned was like, Oh, is this like a sales thing? No, but I have learned through different like sales techniques. Like I learned through like Sandler, um, this thing called a pain funnel, which I think is totally relevant for relationship building, like not even in a sales manner, but just getting to know people and building rapport. Um, and it's, it's it, you know, after you've kind of had a conversation with a little bit of like what someone's doing, what they're working on, like it's a lot easy for everyone to, easier for everyone to kind of say like, oh, what do you do? You know, the weather's great, blah, 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 blah. Then you say, you know, hey, so I, it sounds like you're working towards this and you kind of make a big leap. You kind of say, hey, it sounds like, you know, I would imagine being in your shoes, maybe whatever they're going through, like, I would imagine that's stressful. Is that stressful? And they're going to tell you, yeah, it is, or no, it's not. And then you're going to say, hey, could you tell me a little bit more about that? Is like that your biggest concern yeah. for the work that it's you're doing? It's kind of like you're forcing them to dig in a little deeper, but you're disguising it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's... It's in disguise, because you wouldn't even think about it. Like, no one would think, oh, okay, that's a weird question. Why are they asking me that? It kind of depends how you're doing it. Yeah, I think you, I think my goal is to put myself in your shoes as best I can. And like, just as, if I, me, me think like, okay, if I'm in your shoes, how would I feel if this type of thing were going on? And then I just kind of say how I would 
feel. I and, think um, it's just a person thing too. It has to do with, I mean, it's a huge part, like your personality. Like I'm sure you just genuinely care about people because that's very, you can't fake that, right? Like you can't fake it. You know, you have to genuinely care. And especially when you're having that conversation and you're making it vulnerable, you have to genuinely care. Well, and I think, you know, with that said, that's a skill that you can build. Like, I think that's not like, like you aren't born with it or born without it. If you're like a person out there and you think to yourself like, oh, I'm not really good at that, like empathy thing, or I'm not really good at like putting myself in somebody else's shoes. Like, I'm not saying that I'm great at it. I'm still working at it. It's still, it's still a work in progress, but I can tell you that when I was a drug dealer, I had very little of it. I was not that empathetic. I didn't care as much about putting myself in other people's shoes. Um, but fortunately, because of this, those circumstances I was in and because of those experiences I had with other people, other people giving me a shot, getting that positive reinforcement and that confidence, I started learning how to do that and become better and practice it. Yeah. So Malcolm Gladwell, you know, I was reading immediately after How to Win Friends and Influence People, I read Outliers. And he in the book talks about the 10,000 hour rule. And he says, if you spend 10,000 hours doing anything, you'll become world class at it. And so for me, I was like, okay, so I want to be like world-class at networking and relationship building, plain and simple, straight up, that's it. And so I would go to coffee shops. I would go on LinkedIn. I would schedule conversations with people. I'd ask them to tell me their story. I literally would go all around Bloomington when I came back to Bloomington. Excuse me. Uh, um, I would just meet with professionals and owners and business people and doctors and lawyers and teachers just to learn their story of how they got to where they're at. And it was really eye-opening because it allowed me to realize that most people's stories are are not singular and I think as a college student when I was a student doing these interviews I was realizing myself like I was at the time my assumption was okay I get this degree in finance I'm gonna go and be a finance professional mm -hmm. but that's not the case with most people more often than not maybe that's your first job but your second job and next jobs and opportunities kind of take you into a path you never realized uh, was there so mm -hmm. by the way to kind of like clear up the story mm -hmm. I about a year after living in Utah I got really blessed I got really lucky um, the a court system ended up dropping my felony charges to a misdemeanor conviction. They saw a lot of my community work, um, helping people get mentorships and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and essentially, you get lucky you did that for yourself. I did. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing I did that. And I, I had no agenda. I was assuming that I was yeah. going to jail. I was assuming yeah. that this was going to be something more serious. Yeah. And I just got, I got really lucky. And, um, then IU had re-enrolled me, they accepted me, and then the Kelly School of Business accepted me. I was not a direct admit, um, but they saw my grades and they were like, okay, and I don't know how, and I don't know why, but I got in and um, I made the most of it. And so when I, when I came back to IU, I noticed there was a problem. I noticed that there was a lot of people getting jobs that they weren't passionate about. Like they'd have great GPAs, they'd get into the jobs and then they'd switch or they'd be like, I don't know if my expectations met reality. And I felt like there needed to be maybe a little bit more accountability, both from like the company side to be transparent about like actually what you're doing um, <clears throat> and more transparency from the student side of like what you or not even transparency, more, um, I don't even say eagerness, but more experiences, not just for internships. I feel like internships, you get it just so you can put it on your resume that you have one, but are you actively learning? Are you asking questions? Are you like poking and prodding because more often than not I feel like young people they think like they, they say things uh, so many self-deprecating starting points to question like hey this might be a stupid question but blank it's like don't ever say that 
don't ever start a question with this might be a stupid question because if it's a question you have it's a valid question it's well and totally also like you said too on the plane i mean you never know who you're sitting next to and I think about, so, you know, like you're saying, you got lucky. I mean, all of this stuff, like it is very lucky, but someone told me before they were talking to me about a book. I wish I remember which book it was, but they were talking about like lucky people, people who are labeled as lucky and then people who are labeled as not lucky. And these lucky people, the only thing that they do differently, like they put them in all these different settings and experiences. And the only thing they do differently is just put themselves out there, put themselves in situations and they aren't afraid to ask questions. And I think that's super important is never being afraid to ask a question. Like even when it comes to a restaurant, I'm a very picky orderer and people hate it, but it's just like, you know, this is my experience. I'm at a restaurant. I'm not going to be like me and asking, Hey, give me that guacamole now on the side or whatever. You know, it's just, I, you're going to ask what you want, but, um, where was I going with that? Uh, you just can't be afraid to ask because like, I think back to this one time I was with my friends and we went to La Carreta. Do you remember that restaurant? I'm assuming it's on Indianapolis. It's over by like, I've heard of it. I don't know if I've actually been there before. Oh, so good. Used to go there all the time. But anyway, one day I just wanted like vegetables and chicken and lettuce. Like I just wanted that. So I literally asked for it. I was like, can I just have like a plate of this? It's not on the menu. And he's like, well, I'm like, how much would that cost? And he's like, well, what, what would you want it to cost? I'm like, can we just make it like $5? And it's hilarious because they always bring it up because they got like these actual meals and they were like this tiny. And then mine was like this giant platter and it was $5. So what I'm saying about this is like, yeah, it's so true. And you're creating all this amazing stuff without, you know, no agenda. It's true because you're just doing it because you're not even thinking about it. It's just a part of you now. And yeah. before we forget, I do want to say one more thing about what you said is that, you know, you were not born with this stuff and no one is born with any of these things. And I'm glad that you said that because that's something that we forget about. I forget about. It's easy to limit yourself to these skills and qualities that you feel like, you know, are part of you. And then like, I can't think of an example right now, but something that you think is not a you thing, but maybe you admire it in someone else. And the fact that you can admire it in someone else, that you could see it in someone else, it just means that it's available for you and it's, you know, you can be it. And so I like that you said that, that you didn't have, you know, you didn't have that empathy, but you kind of, you taught it to yourself. You learned it. I mean, and it wasn't so far away from who you were as a person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, <laughs> I was not, I was a dick bag in high school. I was not a nice person. And I, uh, I, I don't know. I just, I, I'd made a lot of poor choices and I wasn't the nicest of people, but I learned and I'd grown and I'd, you know, try to just be a better person for it. And I think, uh, you know, kind of on the statement of what you were saying of, of lucky people, I love that, you know, Tony Robbins has a saying, he says, success leaves clues. And, um, I think that's uh, kind of on the realm of what you're saying. Now, I do want to say one thing as a tip for any people that are listening to this and are thinking about being an entrepreneur, I can honestly say that it's not a light bulb like idea that happens. It's like a gradual, it's a science experiment. It's constantly a science experiment. I mean, for me, like when I started in Utah as, you know, helping young people get mentors, the, the whole, the, like I stumbled upon that because I was desperate. I was like, how can I help these people out? Um, 
And that's kind of what, what I realized. Like these, these, there was one business owner who said, Hey, I'm not going to hire, I, I'm definitely not going to hire this person. At least I can't guarantee you I'm going to hire this person, but I would be willing to mention this person. I said, great, I'll take it. And um, that was the start. And then I asked more people to be a mentor and like, it was crazy how many yeses I got. I think with, with any company, any entrepreneurial endeavor, it just starts with data collection of like, okay, knowing human behavior that not everybody else realizes or it doesn't inherently make sense. People giving up their time to help other people like doesn't inherently come to others. And so that's kind of where um, kind of like the start of ambition emotion got came. And then it then transformed into helping young people and, and college students um, learn about networking skills, learn about how to getting their, how to get their foot in the door, how to connect with people like Google or their, you know, most desired company major investment banks or whatever, anything that they're really passionate about, how to get their foot in the door. And then, yeah, how to continue building those relationships. And that's how Ambition Emotion got started. I realized what resonated really well with college-age students, what really resonated really well with mentors. And then I started realizing, like, who are the entities that benefit from this? How can we make a business model out of that? That's, like, the tough part. I mean, it was like a passion project that then I was like, okay, if I want to do this full-time, I need to support myself. How am I going to make that happen? And so that's when I started partnering with a lot of fraternities and sororities, a lot of honor societies, a lot of, um, you know, starting to reach out to universities, doing whole university partnerships. And the idea is how can we, you know, use leverage these mentors who also happen to be alumni of these, these entities, how can we get them back engaged? And, um, and then once we prepare these students, how can we help connect them with jobs and professional opportunities? And now more recently, one of the things we've stumbled upon was the fact that there's a lot of alumni, a lot of young professionals that are in the workforce, even older professionals, that they got this degree or they came back to get their MBA and it's not gotten them the kind of promotion they wanted or it's not gotten them into that new career that they were hoping to get. And they're not necessarily kind of getting the opportunities that they thought they would be getting or it's not fulfilling them that like they thought they would. And um, yeah, we're helping them transition and get mentors to help them figure out that next step. So it's, it's a really cool learning process. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is not linear at all either. It's all kind of just like a flower, basically. It's like coming out of, oh, okay, this this stem is now um, expanding. Now this and this. It's like all things that you probably didn't think of a long time ago. Totally. You don't know where it's going to end up. And we were just saying this. And even like 10 years, you said you were doing like a little something new now with the videos. And you just, who knows? That could be the thing that kind of rockets everything. You yeah. just never know. And I think that is a huge thing of like for everyone listening too. it's just always trying, not being afraid to try. And I think you're really, really good on this, actually not being afraid to fail. Touch more on that because you've mentioned that before and just kind of like a science experiment, like you were saying, you know, how do you, how is that kind of mentality built up in you? And cause all of this, this is you as a person, it's coming from you. It's coming from you, all of these practices. And like we said, you can learn them, but you're you're it comes down to you yeah it goes back to that whole notion i talked about earlier the fuck it moment mm -hmm. it's like when is something so painful when are you so low on your own social capital that you're like fuck it i'm gonna give it a shot i got nothing to lose here i'm not embarrassed by this like i can't be any lower than where i'm at and then once you try it and it works and then all of a sudden you start building it up you reinforce that it's like you reinforce like you, you can feel comfortable failing because failure happens all the time. I fail on a daily basis and it's cool. I'm very cool with that. Yeah, and changing I, men mentality around the word fail too. Because I love failure. Failure is the best thing that can happen to you because that's the best way to grow. 
I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's like if you aren't failing on a regular basis, you are not doing it right. You are not learning. If you're not learning, you're not growing. If you're not growing, you're dying. So focus on how can you find more ways to fail. And if you're thinking to yourself like, well, you know, I don't know what I define a failure as. I think you can start by where are you uncomfortable? Like, how can you do more things to make you more uncomfortable? Like, yeah. that's the and first that's step. The thing, like, it's also changing your mentality around that word fail, though, because it, like, ugh, it sounds like a, at least to me, you know, it sounds like a thing stabbing you or whatever, but it's, it's kind of just knowing, okay, yeah, failure, it's fine. It's like a, it's like a beautiful magic key, a golden key, and just kind of rearranging your thoughts around that word. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's uh, that 100%, but that's, that's exactly it. Like, if the word failure makes you uncomfortable, that means you need to start saying failure more often, because that's that discomfort I'm looking for. Because when you're, dis when you're uncomfortable, you can, you're going to do whatever it takes to get you out of that discomfort. Yeah. You know, like that's, it, it's, it's crazy, but like you will do it. And I think, you know, one thing that you said earlier, and I want to touch on this because I think it's important. I want to kind of like, I want to do another challenge. But when you say like, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in a year. I think what I want to challenge you. you always challenge me. Every time we talk, you have a challenge for me. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I want you to be thinking about it in the light of. Yeah you know what you want to do. So what you're, what you're doing with your company is awesome. Now you may not necessarily know exactly how, like your offering may be different, but my, my challenge is, is, and, and I think this is what you meant by this, by the way, I'm not saying this is what you meant by this, but I think any, anybody that's like, Oh, well, I want to diversify my efforts. I want to be like uh, studying biology to become a doctor, but also studying business because I might want to go into investment banking. It's like, no focus on one. Yeah. Any focus on a plan B is a distraction from your plan A. This is a and huge thing that you and I have talked about a lot is like focus. And I actually, I, you probably don't even remember, but I remember like our first conversation a while back, like a long time ago when I found out that you were doing all this stuff. I can't remember who told me. I think it was Jim Didolo <laughs> from um, WJLB. But yeah. um, he's like, yeah, you should talk to Garrett. He does all this inspirational stuff. He makes videos. I'm like, oh, well, so then we talked. But um I was like, I know Garrett. I didn't know he was doing that. But I remember like, cause that, that's always been a big thing with me, at least this focus, this focus, especially when you're a creative person, you know, you, there's all these things and you want to do. And like, when I'm saying this, when I'm saying, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in a year, it's part because I am so trusting and so open to what life brings because, you know, it, I was just thinking about this the other day, so it's kind of funny, but like, I know what I want ultimately, but I'm also so open right now because I don't. And when I say that out loud, thank God we're having a coaching session right now. But when I say that out loud, it's like, mm, I know what I want, but right in this moment, I don't have those exact things that I feel like you know, I'm, I'm just, I have those things I want to focus on, but not, I'm so open, if that makes sense. And I think it comes down to also just like, we have two different, you know, ways we're looking at things too. But I, like, I, I could be in California next year. That's what I'm saying. Like I could be yeah. in Greece and I don't know. And I, I think it's important to also have that outlook too, because though I think it's the people who can focus and then have that open perspective those are the ones that really succeed because you yeah. can be open to those other opportunities and things and trying new things. 
That's, I mean, that's exactly it. So yeah, that's, I, I think that there's, there's nothing wrong with, with openness. I mean, you have to be open to it. If you sit here stubborn, trying to think like, I'm going to keep, you know, beating down, excuse me, being on the same door to see if it opens differently. It's, it's not going to do any good for you. But the, the star, the stark opposite of focus is FOMO. You know, if you're constantly sitting in like, oh, I wish it were like this, or I wish it were like that, if you're fearing missing out anything, mm -hmm. um, you are going to kind of run around in a bunch of different circles. Yeah. And, you know, I think my, my challenge is to then narrow in on like what you want. Cause even with like ambition and emotion, I've changed up a ton of things. Like when I go into failure, like I pivot frequently, I pivot all the time. I learn something, I get new data, I change. I make What's something failure different for you then. Like what is a pivot point for you? When is it kind of like, Oh, I need to pivot this. This is not working rather than feeling like you are failing and you need to keep trying it. And you don't want to, you don't want to be a failure towards yourself. You know what I mean? Cause a lot yeah, of literally had a failure today. Um, well, something we worked up to. So we, re we reach out to all the students at the end of the semester. We allow students to, they, they pay a deposit for mm -hmm. using the program. So they pay 50 bucks. As long as they successfully complete the program, they get it back at the end of the semester. One thing I wanted to encourage more students to do was to roll it over, to use that $50 and say, hey, I'll sign up for next semester and just already have it in, not even have to worry about getting the 50 bucks for next semester. Yeah. And <laughs> our numbers were bad. They weren't, I wanted more people to roll it over. It was more like 1% rolled it, mm -hmm. 1% to 2% rolled it over. Yeah. Um, so as that, that was a failure. I was like, okay, we need to do something differently to greater incentivize people rolling over to next semester. Because we know they enjoy the program, we've got the feedback. It's really, really solid. We're just like, okay, clearly, you know, then you're like, hey, I just, you know, I'm doing the program next semester. I just want the fifty bucks right now. I'm like, great, whatever. You know, that's just it's. It was one thing I learned today. Like that was that was it. But you test new things constantly because you see one way that people react or interact with your service. Um, like for example, the reason why we started that idea was because we didn't have as many. Like we got a, we got we doubled the amount of students that signed up from last semester to this semester, but the number of actual repeats were actually quite low. And so we were thinking to ourselves like, okay, so we're getting a bunch of new people, but we know that if we can get these students to sign up semester over semester, we can really grow much faster. And so that was the idea we came up with. And yeah, clearly we need to do more to flush that out. But I mean, I fail all the time. Like that's just one example um, of that. And I think just, constantly being willing to test constantly it like i said it's a science experiment like you don't know human behavior until you actually put it to the test and i'd also care to argue that asking people how they would be behave in a hypothetical scenario is not a good way to measure things because most people don't know how they would behave in a hypothetical circumstance mm -hmm. like they they like the idea of so for example one thing that we did was we, when we started out we said hey you know, we'll give you your choice. We'll put three mentors out there for you. You get the choice of your mentor. What we ended up finding was like a lot of people wouldn't choose. They were like, well, I don't know. They're like, when we asked them like, hey, do you want a choice of who your mentor would be? And everyone was like, yeah, of course I want a choice of who my mentor would be. But then when we put out the choice of them, they're like, ah, you know, I don't know if I should reach out to this person or if this is the right time. Or, you know, I, you know, I don't know if like, what if they aren't exactly what I thought they were be? Can I go back and but choose? What do you think that is? Do you think that they're feeling like they're too above them? Or do you think that they just don't know what they want? Or do you? Yeah, they just don't know what they want. It's like going to the Cheesecake Factory versus going to a, a restaurant that's got a really small menu. You are, it's a lot easier to make a choice when the difference between items of like choosing at a restaurant is like, you can go veggie, you can go fish, or you can go steak, or you can go chicken. And like, you've got five options and that's it. Or you can go like 
chicken with lemon, chicken with rice, chicken with Alfredo, chicken with Parmesan. You know, you can get every chicken dish and there's like a million chicken dishes on the same page. Like that's so difficult to choose from. So I guess the point I'm making is uh, you are, you don't know what you want. It Rather, you are much more inclined to build a stronger relationship and be more invested in the mentorship if we were to go to and say, hey, we've run the compatibility match through our algorithm and this is the person that best fits you. They're like, great, perfect. They're much more invested in that than choosing a mentor and then thinking, oh, crud, did I make the wrong decision? Mm-hmm. It's kind of, uh, if you can trade your expectations for appreciation, you're much more likely to be satisfied. Hmm. Yeah. And it's more efficient too. I mean, also that comes down to like, even with what you're doing, like it comes down to how well you know yourself as a person, how well you know yourself and how well you, yeah, you know yourself. It's, it's, that's like the number one thing too, because then you're going to keep finding those things that you want. And we've gone over that, but like when you're choosing a mentor, when you're choosing what you want to do next after that, or choosing that, and through all these experiences, it come, you're learning about yourself. You're learning about who you are and what you want. But I think that comes with, you know, like saying, oh, I don't know what I'll be doing, or I don't know what I want. People that can't make decisions, it's, it comes down to really how well they know themselves too, because that's where basically everything stems from. 100%. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's about how well you know yourself. Um, so how have I think you kind of seen that? Oh, no, go. What were you saying? <laughs> I was just going to say, um, when it comes to, like, one other point about, like, failure is, is the concept of feedback. And it's very, like the, like, the best way to know that you are doing a good job of, of embracing failure is being open to feedback. It's so easy to get defensive. But in reality, like, most of my ideas aren't that great. <laughs> You know, most of my first ideas, like most of most people's first ideas aren't that great, but we become wed to them because we created them. We birthed these ideas into existence and like we put them out there and we feel really crappy when someone like gives us constructive criticism. But in reality, it's like they're trying to see us succeed. They're not wasting their breath on us just to beat us down. They're trying to see us succeed. And I think if you as a person can take that criticism, can say, okay, cool, this is good feedback, and then try to make iterations and, and improvements from that. You are going to be so much better off, and you're going to be so much you're, you're going to be so much more embrace like you're going to be much more willing to embrace failure because then you're going to learn a lot faster. You're going to make a lot more improvements, and you're going to be a lot more comfortable with discomfort. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely very important. I think it's important to be open and liking feedback because it's just it's feedback. But I would also say too, it's knowing the difference between you know, what feedback to take in and what feedback not to take in. And because, right, not everyone's on a pedestal. No one is God. We're all humans. Everyone has opinions. So it is about being smart about that. But most often, yeah, everyone's just trying to help. They're not giving you feedback just to <laughs> just to talk, right? So it is important to be able to listen to that, though, and take it in and kind of take what you want and filter what you don't want out. Yeah, well, and... So it's not, you know, I wouldn't that's, say want either, by the way, too. I would kind of re-say that, like, because you're not always gonna want it, right? And that comes with fear and uncomfort. You're not always gonna want it, but you know, deep down, you know, kind of what you need, and you should listen to, especially when you get defensive. I think that's a big key. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think um, that's such a good point. Yeah. I mean, because it makes me think about LinkedIn and like the early days of LinkedIn. 
So I listened to this podcast called Masters of Scale. It's with Reid Hoffman. He's the person that started LinkedIn. And he had noticed that there's a trend of people on LinkedIn that were becoming his most active users. They were called Lions, L-I-O-N, LinkedIn Open Networkers. And um, essentially their mentality was, their feedback was, we want everybody on the system to be open. We want to be able to reach and send emails and messages to everybody on LinkedIn. We want this community where, you know, we can, we can easily, you know, reach out to everybody. And, and what Reed had realized was that that's not the way LinkedIn needs to grow. He realized that the best usage case for the majority of people was to allow them to let people in or let people out um, of like who, who they could connect with. And um, yeah, I mean, that's essentially why that was a really, it was a really big deal um, at the beginning of LinkedIn, but it ended up being the, like the best choice because that, that is what allowed LinkedIn to really grow and scale and explode. Mm. So I just, I think um, the point is, is that, yeah, there's some feedback that is going to be not the right feedback. And there's going to be some feedback that's going to be like really soft feedback. And it's up to you to discern which feedback you're to take in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that comes with knowing yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so what else is going on right now? Is there something that everyone should kind of know what the newest, most exciting thing happening is? And who are you trying to talk to here, by the way? If there's someone listening to this that feels like, oh, you've been talking about mentoring and all of this, like, what if I want to get involved in this? Who, who are your people? Yeah, I mean, ultimately where I see this going, and I know this is like my grand vision, I want to be the premier place for college students and young professionals to go to, to get guidance on where they want to be with their, their lives and professional careers, and the place you go to as an employer to find the best talent. I think mentorship is a true test of your character and your grit, and I want to be able to be that, that hub for people to come to, to find opportunities and to build opportunities. And so it starts with affinity groups. It starts with partnering with universities or fraternities or sororities or honor societies. So if you're, let's say a college student, you're the president of your fraternity. You're like, I want to have a mentorship program. I want to be able to see who could potentially could be in my network um, to help me out. Because we know that those affinity connections pull at your heartstrings. They're more likely, you, you are much more likely to engage as a student as well as an alumni mentor with your affinity group because you've got that, that sense of rapport there. Um, now, that, that's who I'm reaching out to. So if you're, if you're someone who's in that category and you're like, man, this sounds like something I would be very interested in, reach out, let, let me know. We can potentially set something up. It's uh, really, really easy to do that. Um, and yeah, I mean, if, if, if there are any companies out there that are thinking to themselves, man, I would love to hire people that have had mentors. I mean, I know a lot of times you'll see companies that are like, man, I, I want to hire with someone, someone with like, like one to two years experience, let's say for a, let's say a sales position or something like that. Um, and, you know, maybe th this person doesn't have one to two years experience in sales, but they've got a mentor that's got 30 plus years experience in sales, has mentored um, her for the last four months, given her tons of insight and guidance. And we say, hey, you know, this person we think would be a really good fit for your role, even though she doesn't have that one to two years experience that you're looking for. So what does mentoring consist of then in this dynamic? Because if it's not an internship, how much, what are they giving them? Yeah. So the mentor really is there as a guide. I think that's something that's so crucial. Like a mentor is not, Are they going into the office? Like, what does it kind of look like? It can. Yeah. I mean, really mentorship at the minimum is at minimum three 30 minute conversations between you and your mentor over the course of a semester, over the course of a 12 week period, 
at minimum having three conversations, but really we encourage more than that. We encourage in-person, we encourage going in and shadowing. We encourage having them recommend other professionals for you to connect with and you asking for those recommendations. Um, yeah, I mean, really there's the full, like, sure, it could lead to a job or an internship, but the focus isn't on that because that's so transactional. I mean, if you come in as a mentee, if you come in with a mentality like, okay, this mentor by the end of the semester is gonna offer me an internship, that, that's coming in with an expectation and you're putting the relationship on a pedestal and it's only a transaction to you. You're not actually building something deep. My goal is to build something deep because I know that deeper, the deeper the relationship, the more comfortable you can be with being vulnerable and the, the, better, and a, the better of a, um, of a rapport you will have with that person. Whereas if you're thinking to yourself like, I think this person's gonna give me an internship, you're, not le you're much less likely to actually share your biggest, deepest, darkest concerns with them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, and yeah. Oh, yeah, that makes that, sense. That vulnerability. You can't build that rapport. And then all of a sudden, you're just, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really tough. I think I, I, like, heard one time, like, the definition of, like the, like, the word vulnerability in sign language is, like, weak in the knees, which is such a bad, like, translation of the yeah, word because yeah. vulnerability is, like, the most attractive I believe characteristic anyone can have because when you're vulnerable with somebody, you can really like emotionally invest in them because people don't make decisions logically. They make them emotionally. Yeah. And if you can, if you can hit those heartstrings, you can really build something strong. Have you watched um, Brene's Brown's Netflix thing then? What was that? Brene Brown's Netflix. I've not, I need to check that out. Oh, you should watch it like tonight. She, I mean, she studies vulnerability and, um, what other thing does she study? I can't remember bravery, but basically all about that and how just it's all connected and vulnerability is important. So anyway, you just sounded just like her because you just said vulnerability like 10,000 times. It's seriously, I cannot stress how important vulnerability is. I, I totally agree. I mean, you're talking to a completely vulnerable like glass wall here. And like I said, sometimes that's too much, but not like it just... It, it's because when it comes down to it, like what we were talking about before we started recording is, you know, what is this podcast about soul speak? It just comes down to people just want to be heard and we're just humans and we're all just the same. And when you could just remember that and remember that in everything that you're doing, like in business, it's a hard dynamic because you walk in and you want to be all businessy and serious and blah, 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 blah. But when you can start breaking down those layers, you kind of do your best work if you think about it. And like you said, you connect with people in an authentic way and it just creates a better dynamic. So I love that you're connecting people in that way. It's almost like you're starting a new era of recruitment where it's not like a robotic, like we all know what you're doing. It's not like you're trying to sell it or be undercover or anything. You're just genuinely trying to create these real relationships people to people person to person and then build something off of that and it's I think it's amazing because it's a space where they can actually learn about the job about what field it is and about like they're not just doing it in a robotic way like and I just said yeah. robotic like a robot a robotic way like it's just they can't because it's not possible because you're on that foundation of human to human yeah, absolutely. And I think even on top of that, it's like, not only is it not robotic, but it also, it, it allows you to, to figure out your own step. It doesn't, it's not as cut and dry. You know, if you're, let's say a young professional and you're, you think to yourself like, okay, I got into this job and I don't know if this is the right fit for me. I don't know if I'm in like the right stage. Like right now, the only options is 
just to quit and move into a different company and hope for the best and hope that the grass is greener on the other side when it may well not be. Um, mentorship is a great way and an avenue for you to actually like dip your toes in the water. Yeah. Figure out if like this is in fact something that you enjoy doing beyond before making like a really big life decision. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to, we can probably like blab for hours because I just noticed it's 613, but mm -hmm. I, oh, 6.13 Eastern, so it's 5.13 your time, but, I'm actually uh, on Eastern. what? Oh, yeah, you are on Eastern. Oh, my gosh, I'm so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> IU, that's Eastern. Munster is not. Yeah. Um, I was so confused because I switched, I was working from home last week when I was home, and I switched my calendar, my work calendar on my computer to central time, so I kept scheduling things today, and I'm like, Ugh, I have to send these all again because they're all on central time, not Eastern. Anyway. So I want to ask you two things. I want to take two things away from you. So first, I want to ask if you had any advice for any entrepreneurs, any people who are just feeling very either motivated or very stuck where they're at, very kind of unfocused, like you were saying, they have all these different, they're like a, uh, I don't know, I can't remember what word it was. But anyway, what advice would you give these people? Don't give up. Don't ever give up. That's like the number one thing. You can never fully you can never fully fail if you don't ever give up on something and i mean i can tell you that i've been working at mentorship for like almost 10 years now i'm probably one of the top i'm in the top one percent of people knowledgeable about the concept of mentorship and like the human behavior interaction between mentees and mentors that's because that's what i've been doing for almost 10 years and i've been doing it every single day all studying studying it every single day and I think if you're an entrepreneur and you're only in it for the money, you're in it for the wrong reasons, you're never going to be successful, plain and simple. Like if you think it's like going to be some quick hack that like makes you a bunch of money, not going to happen because if it's that quick and that easy, someone with a lot deeper pockets is going to come in and swipe it up from you. So I'm going I'm to just tell you that for an entrepreneur, don't give up. Your ability to build sweat equity and to build knowledge and to learn data about human behavior and just interactions. Um, is where no one can touch you, you know? That's like, you, you, no one can touch you, so don't ever give up. Um, that's like the biggest thing. And don't focus, and, and by the way, don't focus on anything that's not somewhat relevant to what you're working towards. You know, if you're thinking to yourself like, oh, well, I'm starting this business, but on the side, I wanna like, you know, focus on potentially something totally different. Like I, I was mentoring a, a young man, he was writing a book and building a company that helped like with financial aid for college education. And he, he was thinking to himself like, well, I think a lot of people in college will read my book. So maybe I can sell my book to my customers. I'm like, dude, you write science fiction and you're providing financial aid to college students. Those are totally like dichotomically like different things. Focus on one and be really freaking good at it. Then focus on two and being really crappy at both. Yeah. Yeah. I always think of the example someone, I can't remember who said this, but it's like if you go to a restaurant, you, I mean, if you want pizza, you're going to see two places on the street. Like say you're in New York City, you're going to go to the place that says the best pizza in New York City and has all the reviews and it just says that pizza. But if you see a place that has pizza and hot dogs, and this is the same example you just gave earlier with the chicken, but I mean, it is, it's very true. And it's, it's also, I think from someone that is like very wanting to do everything, I think that it's also remembering that there's enough. There's enough in this world and being patient with it, being patient with yourself. Because 
everything's going to get accomplished. It will, everything happens. Just let it like go and be patient. I think that's a huge, huge thing with it. Are you, would you say you're a patient person? No, I'm not. Hmm. I'm not patient at all. But you're learning <laughs> it. You're learning it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd say I am very impatient. Um, but I think that there's, there's like two, I, okay. So I think that there's two kind of like definitions of patience. I'm patient in the sense that I'm willing to do anything to make this work. Mm-hmm. Like there's no like plan B out there of if this doesn't work, then I'll do this. There's none of that. It's all in on mentorship. It's all in on this company. It's all on building ambition and motion. It's, it's essentially everything is, is working up towards something. Um, so I guess in that sense, I'm patient because I've been working at this for a very long time. Yeah. But I'm not patient. I'm not patient in my ability to iterate. Like when I find out something fails, chop it off and let it go. You know, try something new. Doesn't work. Chop it off and let it go. Listen to the feedback. Listen to what people are telling you. I'm not going to keep beating my head on this door to do the same thing over and over again. I'm going to keep trying new things. and I'm going to fail. But one out of like the 15 things I try is going to work. And then I'm going to put that into like my puzzle piece and then like continue to add pieces until it builds this one big whole business. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that analogy too, putting it into your puzzle piece. So you have this master puzzle piece and then these all these little different pieces and the pieces that only the pieces that make it, the the relevant pieces that work, the queen bees, they can go in that big puzzle. And then it's just growing and growing and growing from there. And and that's not only just for entrepreneurs, that's also for anybody. Like if you're thinking about building yourself and your skill sets, like you're learning about your likes and your dislikes. Like right now, if you're in college, you're learning about like, who you like to be around, what you like to do, what you like to study. But then when you get into the work, you're going to learn like what kind of company cultures you're going to like, how do you like your interaction with other people that you're working with? Like you're going to build your own preferences. And once you build those, like once you find out like, oh, I do like that. I really, really like that. Throw it in your puzzle piece because so often what we'll find, and, and by the way, put in your puzzle piece and then know that that is inherently you. Because so often I'll find people that will go into an interview and they'll like both face lie about themselves like if you know you're an introvert you do not like interacting with a bunch of people and you're interviewing and they're like hey so this role you're going to be around a ton of people every single day are you all right with that don't say yeah that sounds great you know because that's not you and it's that's a like, thing that is a huge thing to remember is like when you kind of start off interviewing you just want to like sell yourself to that person but honestly they need to sell themselves to you because it's your time your dedication why would you want to just lie about a piece of you that it's, you know, it's so crazy. It's so crazy to think about. <laughs> yeah, it happens all the time though. And it's so, and it's just like, so I think really the key is, is if you're an entrepreneur or not, just know, like build your puzzle pieces, know what are what is inherently you or what is working. And then know that in future scenarios, like attract that and you will and attract a much happier life, whether that be a more successful business or a more successful work-life balance, or a successful- yeah, that can go in everything, in relationships and anything, like especially oh. relationships, knowing like what you want in a person or all of, you know, it's very, very important. And sticking to those things, because when you just grow those and follow those and not let everything else distract you then, or settling for yourself, you know, not settling for yourself because it is you. I'm not talking about relationships anymore. I'm talking about everything. It's just- don't do that to yourself. <laughs> they won't get better. They won't learn with time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, what is, okay. I threw in one more question real quick. I want to ask, what yeah. is your kind of biggest thing right now with yourself that you are working to improve in yourself? Yeah. Um, 
I mean, this is something I'm constantly working towards um, always is gratitude. I mean, really gratitude is so crucial. Um, I feel like that is the key to happy happiness. I think mean, that's the key to a happy life. I mean, because when you're grateful, you can't feel any other emotion except for happiness. Like, I don't care what's going on in your world. You can be sad, mad, dejected, angry, jealous, whatever. When, you're, when you think about who and what you're grateful for, like, bam, only thing that's left is happiness. Straight so how up. are you practicing that right now? Are you writing it down? Are you just thinking about it in the morning? No. So it's a great, um, so I do a few different things. For my personal life, so, I, so my partner, Dee, every morning I write her a love letter. It's not a full letter. It's a love note. It's literally, I love when we do this together. And it's like, mm-hmm. just that. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, you know what inspired me to do that? Was that speaker at AFLV, that guy who had talked about the Because I Said So guy. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. He, he, like, I remember that story of that dad who had cancer and he wrote his daughter like an uplifting note every single day in her lunchbox. And I thought, I can do that. I can do that with D. I can write her a love note every single day. And so that's what I've done. Mm-hmm. And um, that's one thing that I've, I've done in terms of gratitude. But then every, and I know this sounds so silly, every morning uh, when I wake up, I have a routine. So I wake up, um, I look at my phone a little bit, like LinkedIn, whatever. Um, I read for 10 minutes and then I do an exercise, like just working like abs and push-ups and stuff like that. But then I do a cold shower, 90 second cold shower every single morning. You know, Matt Tavela or something like that. He's a uh, YouTube person. I don't know who that is. You would like him. I'll send you his information, but he like has all these challenges like that. And he did a cold shower every day for a month. He's, you would like him a lot actually. Well, I've been doing it for like a year and it's awesome. Oh it's, God, your full shower is cold? No, not full shower, 90 seconds. Oh, it's 90 seconds. seconds. Okay. So it's a minute and a half. And literally I'm just beginning doing 1,000. What was that? Beginning or end? It's a plug Beginning, in always beginning. Okay. Um, and so the reason why that's part of a gratitude exercise is because once you turn on that warm water, you realize how grateful you are for even the littlest things like warm water when you've been freezing your butt off for 90 seconds. And also, I think it's personally really good for your, uh, like, lymph system and your um, uh, immune system. Like, I don't think I've been sick, sick since I've started doing this. Hmm, interesting. It is good for that, too, though. Yes. And then after my showers, I do 10 minutes every day. I have, like, a little meditation pillow. When it's warm enough, I do it outside. When it's cold enough, I do it inside. But I sit there, and I have a priming exercise. So at the beginning of the day, I sit close to my eyes, Indian style, on the, uh, on the meditation, like, little cushion thing. And I think about what do I want to get done for the day and who am I grateful for? What am I grateful for? And just 10 minutes, I set an alarm and bam. I mean, I just wake up, I get, I, I wake up, I get out of that meditate. Like I'm sitting eyes closed, you know, like in a, like a yoga stance type of seated you position. You said at night or in the um, morning? Morning. So I think about what I'm going to do that day. And then I, yeah, I get up, I get out of that. I, you know, eat breakfast, listen to a podcast and uh, walk my dog, which is just another meditation where I literally run through what I'm going to do for the day. Helps me clear my head. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm a weirdo that talks to myself. So I'll like talk to myself while I'm on my, my dog walks, just like thinking about the things that I want to get done. Yeah. I would imagine my name. I think I'm just like the super weirdo that's like talking while walking. Not weird. <laughs> I know I'm weird, but it's okay. You know, I, like, I don't, 
No, I, I don't care. not weird. I was just, I was, like I said, I was driving yesterday and I'm a big, like some people will just take notes when they think of something or, yeah. you know, and I'll record my voice on my um, phone. And I was listening to all of these, like I have them from like two years ago. There was one of me on Centennial. I was like crying to myself and I'm like thinking about this. I'm like, <laughs> this is so hilarious because it's just me talking to me. But I think it's really important that to do that, you know, because it's very important. So I love that. Awesome. So before my computer dies, because apparently it's not working right now, this plug. And before we go and talk for two hours, I will ask the final question that I ask all of my guests is if someone asked you how they can hear their soul speak, what would you say to them? How can they hear their soul speak? Do you mind elaborating on that just a little bit? How could they hear their intuition? Okay, cool. That's a good way of putting it. Um, yeah, I think it starts with kind of what we were talking about before figuring out those puzzle pieces of like what are your likes what are your dislikes and then taking down an internal like an internal almost uh note that this is what you like and this is what you don't like and i think that's how you let your soul speak because at the end of the day like if you can as, as at the end of the day we are all growing and working towards something as humans and if you can take this knowledge you're gaining about yourself for your relationships, for your professional relationships, for your intimate relationships, for the people you interact with, for the work environments that you go to, for the personal environments you go to, if you keep mental notes of the things that you like and dislike, like keep that mental inventory, you will, and, and then you constantly apply it. You don't ever sell yourself on like, well, it didn't work out before, it hasn't worked out the 10 times that I've tried doing this before, but I'm gonna keep giving it a shot. No, don't do that. If you learned it didn't work, stop, do something else. Um, you will find yourself in a much better situation. You are much more likely to be happier with a scenario where you try something new that you've never tried before than trying a scenario that you know won't work. Yeah. Awesome. Does that make sense? Yeah. It makes so much sense. It's, it all comes down to that puzzle piece, just keeping it there, keeping it there and letting everything kind of go. And yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And where can everyone find you? I'm going to put everything in the show notes and the links, but where can everyone find you? Yeah, I'm big on LinkedIn. So you can find me at Garrett Mintz on LinkedIn. Um, just when you connect with me, say, hey, listen to that, that pod, the Soul Speak podcast. Um, sounds like you're doing some awesome stuff. Would love to connect. And bam, you know, we'll, we'll connect immediately. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the big places that you'll find me. And then you can follow my company. I, I post a decent bit on like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. It's just at ambition um underscore motion um, website. your website oh oh ambition ambition hyphen in hyphen motion.com okay all right put it all in the link so you can just click away so anyway that's all i have thank you so much for coming on and we'll um i'm sure we'll talk again soon of course thanks for having me 